obviously we could have been mad and like been like trying to argue with these people, but it's better just keep a positive attitude and like your body language goes so far in another country. Like they're going to, they're going to be willing to help you out. If you stay like calm and collective, you definitely have to like push a little bit, like, or else they're just like, no, you have to pay for another ferry. Like you missed it. You kind of have to like push back a little bit, but you have to find the right balance of not being like mean or rude about it to just like, Hey, you know, this is what happened. You know, you guys need to book me on another ferry. Just stay calm. Don't ever like yell and just kind of try to stay happy about it. Yeah, it's it's a fine line, although I found it to be much easier when you're on like a nice island to be like, hmm, if I had to spend another night here, like, yeah, this this plays with my plans, but I'm still in Santorini. So life isn't so yeah, bad, right? Not the worst place to get stuck. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast. Episode 412. About 3,000 euros are thrown into Rome's Trevi Fountain each and every day. I wonder where all that money goes. I'm super excited to have Chase as the sponsor of today's show because if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that Chase has been my favorite credit card company ever since I started learning how to use travel rewards points way back in 2011. The Chase card that I've recommended for beginners just getting started has been the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. It's been that way for years and it's still my favorite card for beginners. The best part about the Chase Sapphire Preferred card is that it earns you Chase Ultimate Rewards points, which you can transfer to a host of great partners like United, Southwest, and Hyatt, or you can use directly through Chase Ultimate Rewards and book any flight, hotel, or car rental with no blackout dates. It's an absolute no-brainer. If you're looking to get started in earning travel rewards points, the Chase Sapphire Preferred is the card you need to get. To check out more information on all the great perks of the Sapphire Preferred Card, plus the other great offerings from Chase, you can go to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. To be totally transparent, we do receive compensation from Chase as a sponsor, but all these opinions are my opinions only, and you know I'd only ever recommend something that I absolutely love and use myself, like Chase. So head on over to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has been traveling and working from the road for over 2,900 days and has visited 573 cities and 73 countries, although they, that may be more now. we got to catch up and update here. Uh, Mike Swigunski from globalcareerbook.com. Mike, thanks for joining me and a huge welcome. Yeah, Travis, great to be here. And yeah, that, that number is is accurate up to this date, but I, I've got around 20 countries um, that I'm planning to visit this year for for work, for pleasure, and you know, just we've got weddings in, in certain places and uh, a, a lot of fun plans for, for 2019. So Oh, only tw- only twenty, is that it, man? Oh, come <laughs> on, you're slack in there. It's like one of those things where it's just like, all right, you know, we'll go here for, we're going to be based in Prague this summer. And it's just so easy to just hop on a train and like, you're, you're literally close to, you know, you're close to Munich, Berlin, Bratislava, Vienna, within a four hour train ride, you can just hop on there. Um, you know, that's a a few movies lengths and you're, and you're there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. It is, it's funny to count countries because it's, obviously if you've been to 73 you've done a lot of traveling you know i i don't even know what number i'm at but if you've been to 50 you've been to you know you've been to a lot of places but it is this weird thing that there can be people who are super well traveled and yet you know their country number is low because they've spent you know three years 
bumping around Zambia knowing every corner of that country versus someone who's like, oh, I took a three-week trip through Europe and knocked 16 off my list or something. Right. I think that's a great thing about travel is like you just got to travel at your own pace and like you got to have your own experience. And for me, it's it's just like a fun thing to, to keep track of it and keep keep a motivation. Like my my main goal in life is to visit every country. I'm not in I'm not in a rush to do that. I want to do that over time at my own speed and pace. Um, and yeah, I definitely don't want to rush it. So it's uh, it's slow but steady, I guess. I've been, I've been doing it for like full time for around eight years now. So it's yeah. been a great journey. So uh, interesting enough, though, I've never seen someone count cities. That's tough. Like when I read that, I actually, I, I got a little jealous because I thought there's no way I'm going to be able to go back and <laughs> do this. And if I do, it's going to take days. So counting cities, what is your rationale there? So there's this like TripAdvisor used to have this really cool tool where you could just like type in cities and like countries and it would just like keep this travel map for you. I'm not sure if they still have it. I've, I looked at it recently when I was like, you know, put it, building the website. Um, and I just kind of like estimated it based off of that because it gives you like an, an actual number um, because you're able to put in some of the cities. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I, I definitely keep more of closer track of the countries and the cities, but again, it's just, it's just kind of a fun thing that I like a personal goal for myself. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I love the city number. Cause I did think, Oh, should I go down this rabbit hole and try to recreate oh. <laughs> every trip I've taken? And then thought, ah, that's going to be tough. And obviously, what constitutes a city? How long do you have to spend there? So I'm glad that you like had TripAdvisor giving you that number, and you weren't actually sitting there plotting it out each time. Because I would have felt, I would have felt like, oh man, he's he's a much better travel journalist <laughs> than me at that point, right? If you were able to to go back and count them for you. When you said you've been doing a five year or uh, eight years kind of full time, full on traveling, when did right. the travel bug hit you? How'd that come about? Yeah, I think it really, you know, the first time I went overseas was in high school to to Cancun, Mexico City, like a spring break trip. And that was kind of like my first foot in the door. But I think I really got the travel bug when I uh, studied abroad in Italy and was, you know, studying with Italian students, really like connecting with a different culture and kind of learning about like we were in uh, Bergamo, Italy, which is around 45 minutes outside of Milan. So just kind of like getting the Italian experience from an educational standpoint, we had Italian professors and you know, we had Italian classmates. So just kind of having that like overlap, I was just so intrigued by everything. And like, you know, I, I had a, a deep interest in international business and while I was studying in college, and so once I did that, I was like, man, I want to keep doing this. I want to get involved with study abroad. And um, so as soon as that summer finished, I went home and uh, applied for uh, the student manager position, which is basically our university had it structured. So like if you had studied abroad, you could apply to be a student manager. And it was a, a two year internship where you're basically working for the university. You're doing marketing for the study abroad. You're teaching a course actually through the university. And then you're leading a group of students over the summer um, for around like, you know, 40 to 50 people. And they selected me to do it for Prague, a city that I'd never even been to. Um, so I was like literally having trying to, to pitch it to people. I was like, yeah, you got to come to Prague. It's like awesome. You know, like beer is cheaper than water. You know, like it's, it's really close to stuff. It's really easy to travel. Beautiful city. And at this time, I'd never been there, but, um, you know, it was like the year before they had like seven students go on the program. They're like, yeah, if we don't get 15 students, uh, you're not going, you're not going to have an internship pretty much. And I was like, oh God, you know, so I was just like, that really incentivized me to like really push it. And we, we ended up getting 35 students the first year. That was the max it could hold. And then we grew it to like 45 the next year, which was again, like the maximum, so it became one of the more popular study abroad programs. Wow, only a 500% increase that first year <laughs> yeah, from right. this. All right. Yeah. Well, you must have been pitching it pretty well despite never having been there because, geez, maybe the Prague Tourism Board should have hired you at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it, it, I think it was just the timing was right. Prague was like, at least, you know, at our university, people were familiar with it, but it was still, the tourism was kind of doing this like hockey stick, like, figure where it was starting to get really popular. Uh, and and if, if any of your listeners haven't been there yet, 
it's still one of my favorite cities in the world. It's so beautiful and it's still fairly valuable like to go there at any time in the year. Yeah, and, and definitely cheap. And while it's certainly more touristed than it was, good for them. Uh, you know, they and they have put in a lot to drive tourism. It's still Eastern Europe, and it's still probably I would always say the easiest place that I found to dip your toe into Eastern Europe, while basically having all the amenities and everything you could want from Western Europe, or if people are more familiar with, oh, I've been to Paris, I've been to London, I want to try something a little more off the beaten path, you go to Prague, and you kind of get that Eastern European vibe with all the Western European um, kind of facilities. And then, of course, from there, as you mentioned, you can go anywhere in that region with a simple train ride. Right. It really is like the heart of Europe. It's just like such a good breeding ground. So it's an international city. There's a lot of people from all over the world. And it, it is very touristic during the summer. There's like tons of people. But literally, if you go like two metro stops out of the city center, um, I used to live in an area. There's literally nobody there. Like there's no tourists there. But it's, you know, five, ten minutes outside of the, the old town. Yeah, people do need to understand, maybe you probably already know this, that the trams and and stuff change numbers at a certain time at night because I've certainly gotten stuck in Prague Old Town trying to get <laughs> to a, like, it is a 10-minute tram ride away where we stayed, but, you know, in right. the outskirts. And uh, looking for this, like, tram 15 didn't exist, and then I later realized that they uh, yeah, they change numbers at, like, midnight or whatever it is. Uh, so. Yeah, the, the night trams, they're, they, di- they have different numbers for that, but... When, when I used to live there, I, I would have similar experiences because the taxis, they had a crazy, they still kind of do have a taxi mafia there where it's just, they'll basically just, if you don't speak Czech, they'll just rip you off. Um, that's kind of changed a little bit with Uber is and more accessible and stuff. But if you're only going there for a few days, probably best to stay in the old town. But if you're going for, you know, a month or even a few weeks, um, definitely look outside of the area because the public transport's so good. They have you know, bus, night buses, night trams at it for, for any time of the day. Yeah. What are some other areas that you've been to now that you found to be those places? Like you said, you're, you're in Prague and now you're going back to Prague to home base a bit um, over the summer. What are some of the other places that you find yourself either wanting to go back more, like you haven't been a ton, but you're like, oh, I'm going back, or you or you find yourself going back too because you just love it, it's easy, it's accessible, it feels a little like home. Right. I'd say Prague is definitely one of those. Uh, Croatia is the other big one that I always like. I'm always telling people to go there. It's a little bit less traveled. It's, again, getting really popular now, but still the values still there in certain locations in certain time periods, like – it, there's a lot of value in the shoulder seasons of like of travel. Like so, if you get there in August, you'll find a lot better rates. Um, but yeah, I really like Split Croatia. I know you guys. I just listened to your mishaps in Croatia, and I love that you guys highlight some of the the not so glamorous sides of travel. Uh, that's really cool. I, th- I think we need to do that more in, in the travel industry because it's not all like sunshine. Yeah, you don't want people to think that when they have a mishap or they don't or they just don't even have a good time. Like maybe it's not a, a mishap, but you're just like, oh, I really thought I'd like this more, but I it didn't jive with me. You don't want people to assume that it's their problem. Like I have had those experiences. I, I'll give you the uh, the place that I had it at was when we were in Malaysia, and everyone was like. Oh, you got to go to Georgetown. You got to go to Georgetown. It's so awesome. You're going to love it. This colonial city on the coast, you know, get out of Kuala Lumpur, go up there. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And it was the end of our first backpacking trip. And I was so excited to go to Penang and, and, you know, Georgetown and Penang as whole. And food's the best in the world. And I, like, I had built it up in my head and thinking, we're saving this to last. This is going to be the cap on, on this first (laughs) trip. And we get there. And just didn't like it that much. I mean, the right. weather played a part. It rained like the five days we were there. And, you know, Georgetown, the yeah, beautiful, one beautiful colonial building. The rest are like falling down. And I just thought, man, this sucks. Like, what's wrong with me that 
everyone loves Penang and I don't. And then I just came to realize like, well, A, not everyone does, but also you're going to have those situations and those circumstances. And that's what makes the places that you love even better because not everywhere is perfect or perfect for you. Right. I think that's, that's one of the things like I'll have a place that I didn't love and I, I'll tell people that, but I try to not talk them out of going because they're going to have their own unique experience there. They're going to, you know, have their own situation, like where maybe they have the complete opposite, um, you know, experience in Georgetown where they just absolutely loved it. And you don't want to talk people out of like traveling. I think right. you just got to tell them your experience and this is what happened. And, you know, if they can try to learn from that, um, that's the best way, best thing you can do. Yeah, I'm actually very excited and and want to go back to Penang. You know, having that was my first backpacking trip, right? We maybe we were burnt out. We hadn't traveled much before, you know, and go back and experience it again and say like, okay, like why not give this a second chance if we're in the region uh, to, to redeem itself in our eyes? Do you have a few places again, not that we're saying don't go here, but do you have a few places that maybe didn't live up to the hype that you had built up in your own head? I mean, I was really excited. I was just in Toronto, beautiful city, um, great, great time to go, um, especially for Americans because the U.S. dollars is doing really well. So, like, you know, a hundred dollars Canadian is only seventy-five dollars in U.S. Um, but I went out to Niagara Falls, and I just like we rented a car for the day, and just like, you know, it gets so hyped up in movies and TV shows, and maybe that's part of the reason, but. The actual Niagara Falls is like really disappointing. Um, and the most like common image of pe- that people see is actually like Horseshoe Falls, like the, the U-shaped waterfall, which is it's it is really beautiful. But I don't know. It, it wasn't like it de- definitely didn't like live up to the hype, in my opinion. Yeah, they don't show you on the movies like the Ripley's Believe It or Not and that whole like weird area that's basically like a really crappy disneyland on the right. i don't even know is that the canadian side i don't want to throw shade at the canadian side or us i can't remember which side it so is the the canadian side has like the best viewpoint of the falls um so that's where like most of the touristy stuff is but yeah it's just kind of like older hotels and older attractions that were probably like really popular in like the 70s and 80s and they just haven't really like expanded on it uh, it's it's still again like I said it's worth a visit if you're in the in the area it's only like an hour outside of Toronto but um, I wouldn't like plan my trip around that right right so you've been doing this for eight years you, you mentioned full time what did your job timeline look like because I think a lot of people want to get into and we're going to talk a lot about this like remote work how to get jobs that allow you to live anywhere travel anywhere a lot of what we touch on inside our location indie community but they don't really always see the full scope of how someone gets to that situation. So what does yours look like? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, during university, I was involved with the study abroad program. And uh, I was, you know, I was thinking about just, you know, I was interviewing with big corporations, was going down the route of just doing like an office job after I graduated. So this is around May, 2011. And uh, a month before I was about to graduate, my mom passed away from from breast cancer. Um, she had been, you know, fighting it for two years and uh, was just one of those things like looking back, uh, just a crazy time, really sad, like was really close with my mom. Um, but this just kind of pushed me in the direction of like, man, I really don't want to go down some corporate job that I'm not like passionate about um, and something that you know, I just need to like go travel and everything will work out. I'll, I'll obviously have to put in the effort, but once I do, you know, things will work out. So, um, the the university was paying for my trip to go for the final study abroad group, like a month after my mom had passed away. So I was like, all right, you know, I'll go to Europe. I'll take this group of students there because it's part of my obligation and something I I was really, you know, I've been working all year for. Uh, and then I was like, once I get to Europe, I'll just try to find a job here. And I talked to the university um, because I'd studied finance. They were able to let me teach financial economics at the university in Prague. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like I showed up and within like a month I found a job. Like I was applying for, you know, other positions in Europe. It's definitely hard to find jobs in Europe, um, just the, the visa situation. But if you're able to 
have that proof of concept like right off the bat. I was like, oh, I can just replicate this in any country and any place in the world. Um, you know, I was fresh out of college, had some good ex teaching experience, teaching finance and teaching some other stuff through the university. So and you're I an American, correct? Like, right. So OK, American. so you're an American going to Europe, trying to to get a work visa, which, as you mentioned, pretty difficult because, you know, Europeans like, well, you, you kind of have to prove why you're exceptional, right? Like, why can you do this? And a European person cannot. Exactly. So like there's a lot of restrictions for the EU. I won't go too deep into that, but it is possible. Probably like teaching is the easiest like entry entry level to work in Europe. Um, but there is a lot of options. Like if you if you have if you're working for a U.S. company that has an office in Europe or something, you can you can do a stent for a few years there. Um, but yeah, so I did that for a year. I was teaching finance and was like, all right, awesome job, like really good work to life balance, but I wasn't really feeling like, I don't know what the right word is. I wasn't feeling like pushed to the max. It wasn't like challenging me too much. And I kind of just like was looking five, 10 years down the road. And I was like, is this really like what I want to do? Like, do I want to get my PhD and become, a, become like a professor? And I was like, uh, not this just isn't for me. It was a great experience. If I had to go back again, I would hundred percent do the same thing. Um, uh, but it was just like, I wanted to jump off and go try somewhere else. So I moved back to the US, found a three month contract uh, working for Wells Fargo on a, on a trading floor. And this was literally just to save up money to move out to Australia. Because when I was in Europe, I met all these Australians. They're like, yeah, we, you know, we come here for two years. We have this working holiday visa. And I, I forget who actually told me about it. I think it was an Australian. They're like, yeah, you can actually go to Australia and you just sign up for a visa online and you can show up to Australia and work any job you want to. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. Like I, I started saving up money and saved up like three grand or something, which is not a lot in Australia at this time. That was like probably, I don't know, more around two grand Australian um, with, a, with a bad exchange rate. So saved up money, flew out to Sydney and luckily had a friend uh, in Australia that allowed me to crash on his couch for a couple weeks. But within two weeks, I was able to find a job working at a, like a tech startup. And I literally like just spent eight hours a day searching for jobs because I was like, all right, I realized how expensive it was there. And it was just good motivation for me to like start applying for jobs. And there's, they have a really good workforce there. So once you find any job, it's, it's good pay and they've got a really good work of the life balance. So it was... Okay, that's interesting. That's something I didn't know that as a, an American, you can show up and start working there. Like I knew there was a lot of reciprocity between the Commonwealth countries. So Canadians going to Australia, Australians going to Canadians, go, both of them going to the UK, right. vice versa. But as an American, you were able to go and and you didn't need a work visa ahead of time. You were able to go and get a job there after showing up. Right. So you... You have to apply online for, a, they call it a working holiday visa. And it costs around, for Australia, it's around $400. So you just apply online. It takes like, I think mine was approved in like 10 days. So you can do that. So you can just apply on time, uh, apply online at any time. And then once you show up, you have one year of being able to work for Australian companies. Um, so it's just like a, a good motivation to get like education, ed educated people over to Australia to do jobs. And that visa um, lasts for, for one year from when you, when you get there. Yeah. So basically when you show up, yeah. you got one year. Okay. And then like for my instance, they were a tech startup. Um, they were already talking about potentially if I wanted to stay long-term, they could just, you know, sponsor my visa. So there's a lot of alternatives and I've, you know, I have a lot of friends who've showed up on the one-year visa. They found good work and they've been there for like five or six years. So the pay is really good. The work-to-life balance is great, uh, and Australia is just a great place to live. What What so, do you think set you apart? Because hearing that, being like, "Oh, then I just got this job for a tech startup," I'm thinking, "Well, that seems a little difficult." Like going and saying, "Oh, I just got this job being a barista or a bartender." You're like, which is cool. And a lot of people go and get those, you know, whatever entry level jobs or, or service industry jobs, but you were able to get a quote unquote, we're using quotes here, a real job, you know, a nine to five salaried position. How, I, I know you said you spent eight hours a day. 
do you think that's something that most people could replicate? Is that because you had special skills? Was it a lucky I, bounce? I don't, like, I don't think so. I didn't know anybody. Like, it wasn't like, you know, somebody introduced me to the job. It wasn't like a friend, you know, gave me a recommendation. It was literally like I found a job online, sent them a resume. But I think it's just a mindset. Like, a lot of people are going in it, into this with like, yeah, I'll just find a coffee job or like I'll work at a bar and then that'll just help me travel. But I went in with like a different mindset. I'm like, I'm going to find a job that's going to advance my career. It's going to give me like good experience and I'll also get paid good money for it. So that was kind of my mindset going into it. And I, whereas I think I met a lot of other people in Australia who are from other countries and, you know, fruit picking is a really good, a big thing there working on farms. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, I just went in with this mindset and I think there's honestly like more competition for the fruit picking jobs than like these tech startups that are just looking for like people to, to join their team. And, you know, they have like a, not a depleted workforce, but Australia, a lot of Australians leave the country. So those people in like the twenties, the thirties, that age range, a lot of them are working in Europe, they're working in Canada. So it's not, it, it is competitive, but it's, you know, there's not a lot of people, foreigners looking for those jobs. Interesting. Um, so then you decided you, you did that for a year and then I guess you hit a point where you had to decide whether to stay on or not. So I was kind of in a weird position and I loved the job. I loved everything about it. I was living in Sydney, had a great life. Uh, but during my work time, I had gotten uh, a mentor of mine was like, you should apply for this, uh, this scholarship in South Korea. It's uh, an MBA program. It was at the university where, where he taught at. He's like, I think you'd be a great fit, you know. So I, I spent a few weeks filling out the application, had a few interviews and stuff, and they accepted me to go to South Korea and get my MBA. And the, the best part about it was it was like 100% paid, like they were going to fly me out there for, for two years. And this was like something, you know, I had in my like five to 10 year plan where I was like, I really want to get an MBA, but I don't want to go into debt to get it. So this was a great thing. I could go to South Korea. They said they would be able to set me up with, you know, some part-time work, um, you know, through the university doing research, you know, trans, uh, translating some documents from, from Korean English to, to American English. Uh, so yeah, it was a great experience. And it was hard to turn, like tell my current, you know, that current employer that I wanted to leave, but it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So Another great thing about Korea is that they also have this working holiday visa and so does New Zealand. Um, it, it's definitely a lot harder to find non-teaching work in South Korea, but there's still, you know, there's still like alternatives and options for that. Um, so I was doing a lot of odd jobs after I graduated from, you know, two years of, of studying. I was like, I don't want to teach English, nothing against it. It's a great, great way to get your foot into the door and like to get overseas but, you know, I was kind of like looking for marketing experience because that was like what I'd studied and that's what I was interested in. And so after graduating, I spent six months just trying to like find work in South Korea. And it was just really difficult. Like I was just taking every odd job. And then I was like, all right, this is too much. Like I'm not making ends meet. I need to like make a change. And so I, I applied for the New Zealand <laughs> working holiday visa and the great thing about this is it's literally free for Americans. Wow. Okay. So it's similar similar structure to, to Australia. You apply online. You get approved within, you know, I think it's like 14 working days or something. And it's free. You just show up. Again, you can work for any New Zealand company. And I had the same strategy. I was like, I showed up with like, the I think the minimum amount of money you need in your bank account, which is like $3,000. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to show up. I, I literally don't have – New Zealand's another expensive place. And I just started applying for jobs. And again, like within like – I think it was within like 10 days, I found uh, a marketing and sales job for like a tech startup, which was this like travel magazine. Not really techie, more of just like a startup, I guess. But they were a travel magazine. And yeah, it was great. I was able to – this was like my first kind of remote job where I was able to work from home and stuff. So that was kind of my, my foot into the door. I was like, man, remote work is awesome. Um, you can work from home. You can like go out for, for lunch, go to the gym. Like it's just more, more concerned with your, 
your outputs versus your inputs. So that was kind of my first first step into the door of like remote. Uh, unfortunately, like after four months though, this startup ran out of money. Um, just like starting a travel magazine in 2015, 2016, like not a great money earner, um, just because like print magazine is kind of on the down downward trend. So after that, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll, I had some money saved up and decided to just travel around New Zealand for, for a few months. I spent a month like hitchhiking the the South Island. I just like went in a loop for a month and hitchhiked my my way around the whole South Island of New Zealand, which which was a great experience. Um, probably one of the the safest and nicest places in the world to hitchhike. There's literally only like one road, so it makes things really easy. <laughs> it's like where are you going? Uh, just as far down that road that you can take yeah. me. Yeah, you're literally either going up or down. It's like, and you just stand on one side of the road, and people are really like. The culture around hitchhiking is way different in the U.S. I think it's probably similar to the way it used to be in the U.S. around like the 70, 70s and 80s. Where it's just like young backpackers. People are like, you know, a lot of people there are on vacation and they're just wanting to help out and, and help people, you know, get to the next location. Yeah. So during this time, like you had gotten a taste of remote work and, and it was like, I think you're in a similar situation to me, although you did a few different things where I was in Japan saying, hey, this is cool that I'm living somewhere unique that's not my home, is very different from my home, and I can travel from pretty easily. But I, I was teaching English, right? So you, I was still tied to a location. And then I, I just came to a point where I said, it's cool. Like I thought maybe I would continue teaching. But then just pop around to, all right, two years in Switzerland, two years in Rio, two years. And and I, I remember sitting there getting an offer from the school in Rio where they're going to hook me up on Ipanema Beach with a condo. And, oh, wow. you know, the, the pay was good. And I was getting off like Brazilian holidays and USA US holidays. <laughs> so you were working like, you know, half the year, if that. Oh, my and God. I just remember thinking, though, saying, yeah, but and I said this to my wife, like, yeah, but what if I get bored in two years? Like, you know, it was a two-year commitment and it was someone telling me where I had to be, even if that place was about as good as you're going to get. And it sounds to me like you had a similar situation where you're like, I've done amazing stuff in amazing places, but I still don't want someone to tell me where to be, even right. if it's awesome. <laughs> I, I now want to make my own decision to have this complete freedom of deciding where I am. So what did, you know, you're in New Zealand. How did that flesh out though? Because it's one thing to say, hey, I want to do this. And another thing to actually figure out how to, how to make that work for real and how to make it sustainable. Right. Yeah. And that, that was the thing is like, I was in this sort of situation where money was running low. I just finished up traveling, you know, around most of New Zealand. I was like, all right, I still have six months left in New Zealand. I can find, I can just go back to finding another job in like Auckland or, or one of the other larger cities. Um, but then I saw a posting for a, a content, you know, marketing position and it was remote. I was like, all right, it's a bit of a pay cut. Like is, they have an apprenticeship model. Um, so it was a bit of a pay cut compared to like what I would have earned in New Zealand. But the fact that it was remote and that my earning potential would increase over time I was like, all right, you know, I'm willing to like sacrifice some of that, learn more about marketing and like this new industry. Um, so I applied for the remote job and they're like, yeah, you got it. And we'll start training you in, in Southeast Asia. You know, we'll train you for six months. You have to be in the location. But after that, you can kind of just go work from wherever. And that was like, you know, one of those decisions where I chose, I chose not to take like the easy low hanging fruit of just like let's get money. Let's do that. I chose to like get the experience, get the remote work, you know, job and something that was probably a better long-term decision for me. And yeah, it's been great. I've been working remote for this company for, for over three and a half years now. That's all right. So you're obviously like very satisfied with the situation, with the position, with the lifestyle that it affords. Right. So we, when I started, we had a around five people and we've grown to, you know, around 60 now. And it's, it's just kind of, I'm in a great position. I say I have like the coolest job at the company because I do a lot of projects management and a lot of new projects. So like every quarter, my job role is kind of changing because I get to do fun and exciting stuff. Um, cause we're basically just doing new marketing projects every quarter. 
And so what, you know, you're hiring a lot of people and are all those people remote that, that are, that are then working for that company? Right. So it's a hundred percent remote company. Yeah. Okay. Everyone, no office, no physical location. And, and that's kind of what got me into the, you know, sparked the idea for my book, global career is like, there's so many people looking for remote workers and there's, there's a few areas to like kind of find these jobs, but nobody's really specializing in non-technical remote jobs. And I was like, all right, you know, once I started working for this company, it was like, I realized all my friends in this industry, they're looking for remote workers because they all want to have that like location independence and they want their workforce, their, their team to be location independent. And I was like, all right, well, there's a lot of these job boards for developers and coders. And I was like, man, that's just like saturated. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to build a book telling people how they can, you know, either travel to other countries and do the working holiday visa, but also like find remote work. And I was like, well, there's not a great solution for people to find remote jobs. So I just decided to build it myself. And that's why I built the, the global career.io job board where it's, it's primarily focusing on anything from entry level jobs, but also some like mid and high level jobs, but doesn't require any, any real like technical skills. So it's a lot of sales, a lot of like content writing. Um, there's even some teaching jobs where you can teach online, but you can do that from a remote location. And some of these teaching jobs are pretty, pretty lucrative, you know, like 30 to $40 an hour once you've built up like your client base and stuff. So there's a big array of op options, like no matter what your experience is, like you can get your foot in the door with one of these remote jobs. I love that because as a content creator and as a super non-technical person, <laughs> right? And, and as someone who's trying to, to help more people become location independent, you, I hear this all the time, like, oh, well, yeah, I should just learn coding. And then I say, well, do you like coding? Do you have any right. idea? Or A, do you even have any idea what coding means? B, if you do, do you like that? Is that something that fits your personality? Because, you know, you could... You can tell who's a coder and who's not a coder, let's be right. honest. And I'm usually like, you don't seem like a coder to me. Like, well, but I just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Like, I'll sacrifice to be able to be remote, to be location independent. And I'll say to them, well, you don't have to. You know, I, yes, there are a lot of opportunities out there for coders, developers, technical people. I, I, I agree. You're right. It's saturated. And it seems to be something that, people in that field have latched onto, right? Like I think the tech companies are probably the best companies at understanding remote work, allowing their people to be remote and, and kind of latching onto this, this new wave. But I love that you looked at it and said, well, there's a whole other half of the spectrum that isn't the tech, the non-tech side, the creators, the marketing, the sales, you know, whatever, fill in the blank teaching and, uh, and create a job board that's more focused on that because, I think that is where I see a lot of frustration on people's side is just saying, well, I'm not any of these things that I see listed on these regular job boards. You know, I'm right. not a full stack developer. I still don't even know what that means, but I've heard people <laughs> say it enough. Right. And so they're like, I am a creator, but I don't want to start my own blog. I don't want to start my own company. I want to work for someone. I just want to be able to take my skills and be remote. So what are you mentioned a few of those, but like just give us a few examples of stuff that that you've seen as opportunities for people who are the non-technical type people and what jobs they can land that are remote. Yeah, I think it's I mean, even if you don't have any like sales skills, like that's probably one of the easiest ways to get into the space. You literally just need a laptop, you know, good headphones and you're able to, to get a sales job you know, most of these good companies, they'll, they'll give you training, they'll, they'll show you the ropes and you can start from there. But if you're not interested in sales, there's a lot of things like you can, you can start, um, you know, writing content for people. It really depends on your skill set. There's, there's any type of skill set. I, I can just, you know, pull up a few of these jobs here. And I think one of the coolest ones is just, I mean, I'm passionate about marketing. I obviously have a bias towards that. But getting into the marketing space, like it could be a social media manager. Like, let's say you have really good experience. You like to create content. You know, that's a very common job that you don't need to be in an office to run a social media like campaigns for companies. Um, also, like media buying, like if you're interested in learning about Facebook or Google ads, 
Um, you can experiment, like all the courses are free on Facebook. You can literally teach yourself for free, put that on your resume and be like, yeah, I'm Facebook certified. I'm Google ad certified. These courses don't cost anything. And you can just play around with it yourself. You don't have to be spending, you know, thousands of dollars a month. You can spend like, you know, a hundred dollars and just like play around with it. Um, and just kind of take it as it is through, through the course. So I think there's, there's really like unlimited potential out there depending on what your skills are. Um, if, if someone came to you and said, Hey Mike, I don't really know what skill set I have and I'm not really sure even what I want to do. Like I'm not technical. I, I'm interested in it cause this happens a lot, right? As entrepreneurs or even people who like are curious about traveling, they're usually curious about a lot of other things as well. So like, I don't know what I want to do. I kind of like writing. Social media is fine. Like they don't, what would you tell them? Say, hey, here's a job or a type of job that you should get into. And then from there, that might expose you to other things that like other layers that you wouldn't really know unless you kind of got your foot in the door. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of those famous um, sort of psychology exams that they just ask you a lot of questions and then they'll like kind of showcase, okay, here's, here's what type of career is probably best suited for you. But I think, you know, if people have gone to college, if they if they have any work experience, they kind of have an idea of what they're good and bad at. Um, so if it's somebody who's like, you know, interested, the really good writer, you know, content manager is probably a great fit. It's something that's a really common remote job. Um, and it's something you can do from anywhere. And like, yeah, if you if you don't have a ton of experience, just start a blog. You can start a blog within like an hour. <laughs> And just start writing content. It's so the barrier to entry is really easy. And then that could be one of your your things on your resume that you talk about. Like, yeah, I write content. You know, I produce content every every few days. Or if you're able to do it on a daily basis, that's really impressive. Um, so it, it, it just depends on the person. I think there's a lot of good quizzes that people can take. And it will kind of push them down the right path. Um, yeah, what are some of the jobs? Because you said the company you work for is growing from five to, to 65. So where are most of those employees landing? What are you bringing them on to do? Right. So the majority of people are, are salespeople and they don't have like, not all of them have, you know, five years of sales experience. They just have good, likable, charismatic personalities. They're well-spoken on the phone. Um, you know, a lot of them were just teaching English before and they were looking to like kind of transition into a remote job. Um, so that's, that's definitely, definitely a really good position for people where if you're good at it, you'll know within, you know, three to six months. And if you are good, you'll, you'll move up in the company and, um, salespeople are obviously very important for, for any company. Yeah. What about the pay? And you can either speak from experience from the company you're working for. How how quickly were you able to, and or have you seen other people be able to make, you know, a a normal living? And and by that, let's just say somewhere between like the four to seven thousand dollar a month range, which might be common for people our age who are living in the U.S. Right. So. Most of our salaries and most of these like tech startups, like especially if they're a SaaS company, they're going to start off in like, I'd say on the low end, 35 grand. And that's like after the first year, you'll probably be more in the 40 range. But the great thing is like you're not having to, to spend in U.S. dollars like you can live abroad. You can literally save way more percentage. Um, but it really varies. Like if you're just looking for an entry entry level job. I'd say most of the the jobs on on my job board are going to be around the thirty five to forty five thousand dollar range, but if you have you know five years of experience, you can you're going to start moving up into like the six figure mark, where you're making over six figures, you're able to work remotely, and you're able to live in a cheaper place where you can save like you know the person in New York making six figures right, able to save luck. like <laughs> save like maybe ten percent of their paycheck, whereas if you're living in Southeast Asia or somewhere in South America, you're able to to take home maybe like up to 70% of that, which is great. How much competition, and again, this is going to vary depending on, on the job and, and skill set and all, but typical, how much competition do you see 
for jobs on your job board. So if someone's listening, like, all right, I'm going to his job board, I'm going to apply. Should they expect it to be pretty super competitive? Or do you think there's a, a decent shot that they could land something, you know, fairly quickly with with a little bit of, of legwork? Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's really up to the the employer what they're looking for, but I don't I don't think they're super competitive. It's probably like less than a hundred people you're competing against. It's not like thousands of people are, are just like trying to get these jobs and like hiring for remote because it's such a new industry. A lot of people just aren't considering that they can do these jobs, um, these non-technical remote jobs. So I think there's a lot of good opportunity to get in the door now um, before it becomes even more popular. Like I've looked at the trends for, for remote work and remote jobs and they're just, it's going to continue to get more popular. Like even big corporations are moving remotely because they can scale their team so much faster. They don't have to build, you know, a 10,000 person office. They can just hire 10,000 people and have them start tomorrow and work remotely. So we, I'm seeing big companies like Apple, Google, um, they're hiring remote. They have some remote positions. So they're, they're, there's just this big transition to that. And it just saves a lot of overhead for the employer. And well, from people from our perspective is like you were willing to take a pay cut in order to have that freedom. And so I think the more people who enter the workforce who are at least a little bit in the know or at least understand the idea of remote work, which is, you know, as as people come up now out of university and, you know, and in their 20s, they've at least been on a computer. They understand how a remote work would work. And so they're saying, oh, yeah, this is something that's feasible and something I'm probably willing to give up something in order to get. And sometimes that might be lower pay or less benefits or something like that in order to work remote. So it it can be a, a real win-win on on both sides. What do you think people should do in order to stand out. So if you are applying for jobs on your on your board, other than your typical, hey, here's my resume, I'm going to highlight my skills. But is there anything else like a little, I don't want to call it a tip or trick, but a little gold nugget you could give people to say, hey, here's what I would see or I see my company looking for that's unique that might allow you to stand out to at least get on the phone or, or Skype for an interview. Yeah, I think obviously like making sure your resume is really polished. We actually have like a resume service we offer to people, um, which basically takes a look at your resume. If you don't have one, um, we'll build one for you. And it, it does a really great job at like, you know, putting in the right format that jobs, you know, seeker or job uh, employers want to see. And it also like just makes things stand out a lot in a nicer way. Um, so that's one way is just making sure that if you've if you're the only one who's viewed your resume, you're you're doing something wrong. Like you need to pass that around to as many people as possible. If you know somebody who's um, in the industry who looks at resumes, if they if they work in HR and they're the person in charge of hiring for a company, just see just send it over to them and see what they think about it. Get as much feedback as you can, and just constantly be tweaking your resume. Um, the other thing is to, to just kind of dig into the company. Like don't just apply for a job without, you know, looking at any updated news articles, like do some research before you send an application and try to like potentially email the, the hiring person and see like, Hey, I'm really excited for this. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Here's, here's some experience about me. Happy to answer any questions and looking forward to, to potentially having a, an, an interview. But I think the biggest way is if you don't have a ton of experience is to try to create that experience on your own. Like, let's say you want to, you're a really good writer, but you just like, you haven't like, you don't have any portfolio to showcase. So build your personal portfolio. Just take your first name, last name, build the website around that, and then just start writing. Like it's, it's as easy as that. And then you can showcase that writing um, to your potential employer. And you can use that portfolio moving forward. Yeah. Do you think that travel, because a lot of people listening will have travel experience and that will be a part of life. And we kind of talked about this before even starting the podcast of before people thought you either traveled and then you put your career on hold and then you came back to your career. And now we know like you can have a career and do it as well. But if you're just starting out, do you see 
travel and and the potential experiences that people have had there as something that maybe people could highlight if they don't have experience in that field as saying like, hey, yeah, I haven't been a writer before this and that, you know, but I've traveled. Is there a way that they can tweak that to highlight that? And do you think that's something that maybe remote jobs are looking for because they know that this person at least understands what it takes to to be in a different environment and a different culture? Right. Yeah, any any time that they've actually like spent abroad is going to be a definite plus in that application process because they just want to know that, all right, if you're going to transition from never leaving the country to having a remote job where maybe you have to travel to meet up with the team in another location, um, I think it just, you know, it shows that you're a good fit for like the culture if you've, if you've done some travel um, in your background. So definitely try to highlight that. Even, you know, don't don't make it the main priority, but it's definitely something to include. Yeah, I think that a lot of times people kind of push away this idea of travel as experience and, and don't really look at it that way because they're used to it. And we do it as a hobby and, and as something fun. But the very last interview I ever went on, and well, hopefully the very last interview I ever go on, I remember I was applying for this job as a teacher and there's about 500. Well, they told me later, they're like, oh, we have like 500 people that applied. And I went in and it was like the, the, these people were asking me questions and like, oh, there's a hole on your resume kind of. They were like, oh, we see your teaching experience. But then we see you lived in Switzerland. What What is going on there? I just come back from Switzerland in, as an intern for the International Baseball Federation. So I'm like telling them stories about how I drove baseballs around Europe and like ran this baseball tournament in seven European countries and all this stuff. And I swear it was like an hour of them just peppering me with questions about my travels and where I liked and uh, and kind of like unpacking these stories. Uh, it was like them basically interviewing me for a podcast, right? And uh, I, I, you know, nothing about my teaching experience after that. And I was like, I walked out thinking, well, I don't have any idea if they liked me as as a teacher, but I know they 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 got a kick out of the stories. And my phone rang two minutes later and they're like, listen, if you want this job, we're not going to interview anyone else. Like, you can have it. And I just remember thinking like, that's probably, I even said like, what, why would you like? And like, yeah, the, you know, you're obviously very personable. Like, you know, we really enjoyed the rapport. And I think that can go a long way. Like you said, not that it's the main thing. Right. But it's as very someone, important though. Yeah. And, and you've probably been a part of hiring some people for your company. I've been a part of hiring people for my company. It's, it's not necessarily the skill. It's the people that you're going to be working with on a day-to-day basis. And you want to know that they're able to adapt to certain situations, which if you're a traveler, you probably have been able to. Yeah. I mean, you, any hiring person is, they want to find somebody who's qualified and if they like that person and they, and they, and they trust that person, um, and anywhere you're, you're able to, to find some overlaps and like things that you like or common interests. I mean, a lot of people are very passionate about travel and that's just one of those ways where you can kind of find that common ground. Um, and especially with a remote company, even if you've, if you haven't worked remote or maybe you've, you've worked, you know, fr- Fridays, you know, once a month Fridays, you were able to work remote. You definitely want to include that and you want to highlight that if you're trying to transition because it's still an important thing to, to showcase. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about how people can get remote jobs and get started. But one of the things that I noticed that happens after I started being able to become location dependent was this work-life travel balance. So now you don't just have work and life, right? You have like work-life plus maybe you're moving around and you <laughs> want to travel. And it, and it's great, you know, as a whole and in theory, but it definitely adds another component to to a lifestyle rather than, hey, I know I'm coming back to my house and I live here and I go on vacation, right? So what have you seen as the way your life has kind of shaken out over the last seven, eight years, and, and specifically the last three, where you've really been able to be not just remote, but like completely location independent, have you f- have you found a nice balance that that you look to emulate now, as opposed to maybe just jumping around very quickly, which which can lead to you know right. burning out or not getting done what you need to get done? Yeah, I mean, travel is a very time intensive thing, and it's it's definitely hard to balance that if you're moving around every few days. 
and it just turns into like this, you're just not doing anything well. You're not have you're not able to enjoy the travel. You're not able to like be super productive. So we, we normally try to have like a home base for at least like two months. Uh, and then we'll take like weekend trips, you I mean, maybe like a three day weekend somewhere where it's a little bit easier for us to travel then. And I, I definitely prefer that over you moving around every like three or four days to a new city, a new country. That's fine if you don't have like a huge workload or if you're able, if you're just working part-time or freelancing or something, that's more achievable. But if you have a full-time job where, you know, I'm putting in 50, 60 hours a week, you know, that's very hard to achieve when you're, when you're on a plane or on a train or on a bus, like it's just not fun. Um, so you definitely have to like try to find a hub. I recommend at least, you know, two months, just go to a place, see if you like it. And things become a lot cheaper when you're on that monthly cycle. You can get a gym membership. You can figure out, you know, the cheap places to eat. You know, the rent is so much more reduced when you hit that 30-day range um, that it just makes more sense. And you can kind of like get more dug into a city and you, you get to experience it a little bit more as if you were just to travel there for a few days. So I, I definitely recommend people, if you have a remote job, try to start off with a few months you know, see if you like the place and then you can continue from there. And obviously if it's a, it's a place like Prague or another place like London or somewhere where it's a huge hub to, to access the rest of the world, that, that makes things great. What have been a few of your home bases? So Prague was a big one for two years. Um, and when I was there, I was like, I wasn't making like crazy money. I was making good money for, for, you know, what I was doing, but I was able to travel to a new country every month because it's so easily accessible. We were looking at flights from Prague. It was like $25 to go to Italy for the weekend. I was like, all right, this is amazing. Where South America is a great place to be based, but not a super great hub to travel to other locations. So like if I want to fly from Medellin to anywhere internationally, the cheapest flight's going to be around $350. And that's just because like the, the budget airline industry hasn't really expanded here. So there's a lot of monopolies on like certain routes and it's slowly getting there, but it's, it's a cheap place to live, but not a very cheap place to travel internationally. Um, but there are like in Colombia, there are a lot of cheap uh, airlines that travel domestically. So you can explore a lot of Colombia on a, on a very tight budget. Um, so Prague was a great one for me. Um, then you know, I guess my other big hub was in Seoul, South Korea. You know, I'd spent, you know, a couple of years in Korea and that was a great place. You could travel over to Japan. You could travel over to Southeast Asia. It's definitely more of a, you know, on the higher end of the budget as opposed to, you know, other locations. But if you're really looking to get into like the, the digital nomad, the, the, the remote job um, scene, Probably the best place in the world, it's the Mecca, is Chiang Mai, Thailand. You can get an apartment, a really nice apartment for like $350 a month. And there's a lot of people who, who eat out every day. They get a massage like three times a week and they're not breaking over $1,000. And yeah, people are able to like work remotely from there. There's a huge community of people that are very established um, from people who are just starting out. So there's probably coffee meetups every day about any type of remote work topic that you're looking to get interested in. So even if you're not like, even if you don't have a remote job, it's still a great place to get started and, you know, just kind of network because there's so many opportunities there and it's really freaking affordable. Yeah. If you guys have, if anyone has listened to this podcast, probably more than twice, they've heard us throw out Thailand and specifically Chiang Mai as just the place to go to interact to live cheap, uh, even if you, as you mentioned, I think it's a good point, even if you're not sure what you're going to do and you have some savings and you want time to figure it out, okay, well, if you budget it's in $1,000 yeah. and you have, what, $5,000 in savings, that gives you five months leeway, right? And and yeah, you're going to be able to go to a coffee meetup. You probably go to a coffee meetup in the morning, have lunch with someone new, and then go get beers with a third person. You know, that's three entrepreneurs you're going to be able to hang out with in in one day, you know, times that by a week and you're probably going to have four job offers at your door or at least opportunities that, that may come up. Right. Because a lot of people there, they're, they're wanting to hire people. And if you can, if they can hire you, you know, and have that in-person interview 
and they, they like you and you're able to kind of like, you know, maybe you're working remotely, but you're able to do some training in person, you know, a few times a week that, that goes a long way. So just go into like, you know, the most opportunities, there's a lot of opportunities there for sure. Yeah. So. As, as someone who has traveled to 73 countries and what was it, 573 cities, I'm sure you've got a travel <laughs> mishap for us. What strikes you as like the, the biggest one or the one that, you know, you're going to be telling your grandkids and they're going to tell their great grandkids, remember when Mike did this or this happened to Mike? Oh my God. So definitely a lot of things are running through my head. I'm trying to think of like, I honestly, I'm like, so I don't know, meticulous about travel plans that like, I haven't missed a flight after all these flights, probably like a hundred a year. I've never missed one. I've had a few canceled and I just like literally instead of going to the counters, I was just like, Oh, well I know the trick is to just call the, the one 800 number. Cause they can book rebook me faster than the counter people. Cause there's like a 30 person line. But I would say like probably the biggest travel mishap I've had um, was just recently in Greece. And it's kind of embarrassing. Like, I hate to admit it. We, we got to the ferry. We we're going to go from uh, Santorini to Mykonos. And I don't know if you, have you been to Greece before? Yeah, I've been to Santorini, not Mykonos, but I've been through that area, Paros, Santorini and, and all. So the, the ferry stuff there, like a lot of people, you know, take the ferries between islands, just like one of the most common like travel routes. And we get there, we get there like 30 minutes, 45 minutes before our ferry leaves and they're like, yeah, we'll call you. Just wait here in this area. And they sent us to like the wrong area. And we just, we're just waiting for them. And I was like, all right, well, you know, it's it, our ferry time's about to leave. And I was like, oh, maybe it's, you know, it's Greece. They're probably just running late. And then like, as soon as the, 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 we see a ferry like taking off, we're like, oh God. <laughs> and that's our big boat, I think. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's probably our ferry. And we just go talk to like the person who's like, you told us to go wait in this area. Like nobody came over there to like get us. We didn't hear any announcement or anything. It is kind of a nightmare for like how many people. It's just like thousands of people. It's really unorganized. Um, but luckily they were able to like, you know, get rebook us on another ferry without any extra cost. Um, but yeah, I think that was like one of those things. You just got to stay calm. Like obviously we could have been mad and like been like trying to argue with these people, but it's better just keep a positive attitude and like your body language goes so far in another country. Like they're going to, they're going to be willing to help you out. If you stay like calm and collective, you definitely have to like push a little bit, like, or else they're just like, no, you have to pay for another ferry. Like you missed it. You kind of have to like push back a little bit, but you have to find the right balance of not being like mean or rude about it to just like, Hey, you know, this is what happened. You know, you guys need to book me on another ferry. Just stay calm. Don't ever like yell and just kind of try to stay happy about it. Yeah, it's it's a fine line, although I found it to be much easier when you're on like a nice island to be like, hmm, if I had to spend another night here, like, yeah, this this plays with my plans, but I'm still in Santorini. So life isn't so bad, yeah, right? Not the worst place to get stuck. Awesome. Mike, what do you have coming up in the pipeline, either personally or professionally? Um, so the big things are kind of out right now. I, I came out with an audiobook, came out with the, you know, the Kindle version, the paperback book. So global career, it's been, you know, on the best selling charts on Amazon, um, was also recently featured in forms and entrepreneur. So it's getting some good coverage, getting some good press. And honestly, I'm just getting a lot of feedback. Like I, I just talked to a guy, one of the, the things in my book is I offer like a free consultation with people where I'll just sit down and spend 15 minutes and just give you advice on like the best way, what, what you should do to get a remote job or to just work overseas. And I talked to a guy like three weeks ago and he just sent me an email the other day that he got his, like, he got a remote job. He followed some of my advice and he was just so excited. And I was like, man, this is like, that's the biggest success for me. Like just being able to help people. And that's why I started this book is it wasn't to make money. It wasn't to really like get famous or anything. It's just like, all right, there's a lot of people who don't know about this industry. And I think, especially in America, people are presented with like option A and that's all they get. It's like, go to college, go into a bunch of debt, and then like go work at a job that you may or may not like at an office. I was like, well, I want to just be able to present that second option. And 
whether they choose to go down that path or not, that's kind of like, you know, that's up to them. So that's the big focus is just building out the job board, trying to get people remote jobs and trying to help them out through, you know, the book and through my, my job board. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's great when your success is measured in other people's success and for right. them, that's finding a job and you get to sit back and say, that's, that is my end goal. If it sells a million copies, if it hits a number one, if it, you know, if it makes me this money, all that's great. Cool. We like that. That's, that's the business side, but ultimately the business is leading to someone else changing their life for the better and, and achieving a goal that they want to achieve. So Mike, thank you so much for joining me today, helping make it easier for people to find these remote jobs that allow them to travel the world and and have the freedom that we've been lucky enough. Lucky is a kind of a funny word that we've been blessed enough to also be able to have and just spread that word of location dependence. And hey, this is out there and you don't always have to create your own company. You don't have to create your own brand. There are plenty of jobs out there that need people, want them to be remote. And it's kind of like a, almost like a halfway point, right? Between taking this crazy leap of being an entrepreneur and starting right. your own thing. You're like, no, you could, you can maybe even do the same job that you're doing, just be able to do it remote for a different company, live somewhere else, get to experience that. So remind people one more time, how can they get a hold of you? That was awesome that you mentioned about the uh, consultation. What should they do if they want to dive more, find the book, maybe schedule a consultation with you? Yeah, the best best way um, to get in touch is just to go to globalcareerbook.com and it has all my information. It has links to the job board, has links to my travel blog. And yeah, if you if you can just, you know, you want to send me an email, I'm happy to, to respond. Just mike at globalcareerbook.com. Happy to provide advice to anyone, any of your listeners. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Everyone, we will link all that up in the show notes. You can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. Mike, thanks again for beaming in from uh, Medellin, Colombia. It was always a pleasure. I haven't been there myself, but now I get to say I've interviewed someone who's been sitting in a co-working space in Medellin. Um, so thanks, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. It was a blast being on the show, and uh, hopefully our, our travel plans cross at some point in the future. That that will be happening, I'm sure. I, I got to get back to Prague. I, I've only been once. Had a like similar situation to Penang, except I liked it more because we got... I, maybe you know what they call this. Quick aside, when the win, then when you're in spring and the winter comes back, they have a word for it where winter comes back for seven days. And uh, that happened to us. Do you know the word or what I'm referencing? I don't know what that is, but yeah, just like a cold shift. Or yeah, something. They, they, they all said, oh, you're here doing blank, which I couldn't remember. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, it's May and it feels like January. But despite that, we ate enough pork, uh, pork knuckle and had enough beers to keep us warm and toasty. Um, absolutely great, great city there in Prague. So I'll be coming back there. Um, awesome. Our travel paths will cross. If you guys are listening, we hope you get out there and travel too, whether that be as a remote job, whether it just be going out for a vacation for a little bit and kind of experience the travel lifestyle. But I want to say thank you for the continued support for tuning in today for making us the number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.